And so when we look at our family history, it's a part of who you are. Yeah. You cannot ignore that. Even if your parent, if you're estranged or anything like that, it's important to know that history because the stories have healing. Please share, we can do better. So many of us are told and believe that it's impractical to pursue change in our life. We believe we have to stay stuck, that we don't have any options, and it's impossible to do things our own way. I believe the opposite. It's not only practical, but essential that you go after whatever brings you more happiness and freedom in your life. This show explores the ways you can break free from the mold, start to trust yourself more, and lean into what lights you up. And when you do, you can truly show up in the world as your most authentic and confident self, which frees you up for endless possibilities. I'm your host, Angie Cazares, and together, I'm pretty sure we can do better. Hey everyone, welcome back to Pretty Sure We Can Do Better. I am so excited for you to hear this week's episode with my friend, Paul Best. It's actually going to be a two-part series because our conversation was so interesting and we decided to cut it into two pieces, but so much of so many of us have never even really thought or considered our family history and the impact that it has in our day-to-day life. You know, how we were raised, how our parents were raised, and Paul is a storyteller. He's an amazing storyteller where he has done so much research uh, into his culture, into his family history, and passes these stories along to his own family, to future generations. And it's just amazing to hear Paul talk about the healing that has come from that in his own life and rippling out to his family. I talk about so much how important it is that we focus on our own personal development so that we can stop any, as you'll hear Paul say, like transgenerational trauma that has come up that we can, once we know about, we can work on our own healing and ripple out into our own family, into people that we know. And it's just so important that we all get still and start to do this work. I'm very passionate about it. That's what I do so much in my own coaching is I kind of help people to slow down these thoughts and emotions and recognize where they come from and how we can move past them. So I will not talk any longer. I'm so excited for you to jump into this conversation with Paul and please let me know what you thought about it and share with all of your friends because it's just such an important topic. So here's Paul. Paul Best. Welcome to Pretty Sure We Can Do Better. Good evening, Angie. Should I say Angie? That's my name. Well, I won't give nicknames. <laughs> um, so who knew that 10 years ago when we shared an office together at a mentoring organization in Indianapolis, like 10 years from then, we would be doing this podcast episode. There's a lot of things we're doing that I had no clue we'd be doing 10 years from now. Right? It's so, like, like completely different world we're both living right now. <laughs> but thank you for coming on. I'm excited because I am focusing the show so much on 
helping people to, you know, feel more free in their life, live authentically. And I think so much of what you are doing now is so relevant to all of that and your story. Uh, so I want to, I just want to jump in and have you kind of explain, you know, what you're doing in terms of the storytelling. We'll start there and, um, you know, kind of talk about the importance of, of that. Okay. Um, I started storytelling actually in Indianapolis. It was, you know, I was doing the photography thing for a long time. Mm-hmm. But, um, when I was, you know, I would, I would travel for photo gigs, but when I was in town, um, I had a friend that was doing open mics in Indianapolis Fountain Square, Fletcher Place Art and Books, uh, Matt Davis. And he was doing something called Local Motion. It was just like an open mic for a local artist to kind of just be seen and to get practice and things like that. And so I would go just to kind of relax, you know, not take pictures, just enjoy and get a feel for the art scene. And so one day I'm sitting in the, in the crowd and he's like, you know, ladies and gentlemen, coming to the stage, Paul D. Best. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> yeah. So like we, we have this whole conversation while these people are sitting there. I'm just like, what are you talking about? Like I do pictures, man, all those funny stories you had about growing up when you tell me like, man, you a storyteller, get up here. Nice. So I got up there and just like told a story about experience from high school and I mean, people was just dying laughing at the end. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, okay, well, maybe this is a thing. And so it got to be every time I went, they wanted a story. And I was like, oh, wow. It felt natural because it was just like I was just having a conversation and I wasn't trying to have a comedic flow to it, but it, 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 it was giving off that kind of everybody hates Chris type vibe, like growing up in my household, which, you know, yeah. I was normal and realized it was normal, but it was funny, you know, mm-hmm, in my mm-hmm. household. So um, I started doing that. And then uh, the ladies who run Asante Children's Theater in Indianapolis, Keisha Dixon and Deborah Asante, um, they really got me inspired to like the actual art and the craft of it. I remember seeing Deborah Sante perform at the Indiana Historical Society and it was just like a whole nother level. Like, oh my God, this is like really structured and like you're playing with my emotions, you know, like all of that. Yeah. And so um, they kind of kind of started mentoring me in that vein of storytelling. And then when I moved to Philly in 2015, um, I didn't realize Philly is like the Mecca of Black storytelling. Um, The National Association of Black Storytelling was founded in Philadelphia and the ladies who found it was in Philly and Baltimore. So like I joined the local affiliate and that's when I realized, well, there's a whole nother level. Black storytelling is different Um, because in 2011, I had a friend at Starfish who gave me This American Life uh, CD. Oh, Uh, who was that? This girl named Angie, she was Vanderpool. I don't know what she's been up to now. She might have a different name. Yeah, yeah. But, like, it was essentially storytelling. Uh, Just everyday people in America with, like, a specific topic or something. But um, storytelling was just kind of on my mind. And then when I was moving here, I realized, okay, Black storytelling has a very specific structure. There's a specific meaning. And that's when I learned 
the folk tales, the stuff we heard like in the library and in kindergarten and things that this is actually a cultural thing and it's a spiritual thing and there's so many layers to it. And so um, when I realized what it was, I was like, wow, this has always been in my family. My dad tells stories all the time. When him and his uncles get together, they're telling stories of growing up and it's just like, oh, this has popped up in so many aspects of Black culture. It's a part of my identity. Mm-hmm. And so um, it felt natural to me. So it was the first time outside of like photography that I had this natural thing that I was good at, that I enjoyed, that people benefited from. And I was passionate about learning more and um, being better. And it actually makes me a better teacher because you know after I moved to Philly a few years later I got into teaching yeah and um you know being an English teacher all you're doing is reading narratives and stories and then becoming a history teacher history is nothing but storytelling so like my passion just got even stronger and then like my teaching got better because it was like I'm learning history of stories in America and beyond and I'm teaching it so like it's Mm -hmm. like I live and breathe storytelling now and it just feels right it's like I was born to do this it's not a struggle I enjoy researching and practicing and getting better and all of that um so yeah that's how the storytelling started Mm -hmm. but uh as far as identity with storytelling um it it can be a it's therapy that's the simple way to put it right because um stories are of the past you know for the most part when someone tells a story it's something that has happened or it's a narrative created from a historical event or something like that or it could be what you did yesterday for the weekend and so um a few years ago it's probably been about two and a half years ago now I started getting therapy and part of therapy you know you are pretty much addressing past trauma Mm -hmm. and you know we come from a society that we think of trauma trauma has to be this huge catastrophic event and it's like oh well you know I didn't get my hand hand amputated so I'm not traumatized (laughs) you know right whereas it's like no um those micro traumas actually were turning into something over time, you know, whether how you were raised, how you were spoken to, whether you came up in a certain religion, uh, just your environment. It, it, it turns to you. Like it doesn't just go away. It's not an on and off switch. You know, if you carry that from your childhood, you carry it as an adult and it manifests in so many different ways Mm -hmm. removed from it. You can't even connect that this, was because of that oh yeah it's like all subconsciously mostly yeah and so there's an African proverb that says uh be careful how you speak to your children because it becomes their inner voice and 100 yep and you know I realized I was going through my therapy because it was like I would go to therapy and then I would just process everything and the more I processed it was just like you get that period where you're kind of blaming the people who you made me like this, you know, and pretty sure it was my mom and dad that couldn't help it. They were going to be the first, you know, yeah, point of, of course. Yeah. And it was just like, what? Like, 
you raised us in this and church and they believe this and you did this and blah, blah, blah. It's all your fault. You know, mm-hmm. and we had to go through that phase. And then um, from that, you know, they had to admit like, hey, you might've been the seventh kid and we still didn't know what we were doing, you know? And so um, once I got past that blaming moment um, and just understanding family history, so yeah. what I started doing um, with my mom and for a while, my dad, when I would go to therapy, I knew they're, they're pre-baby boomers. They're like the silent generation, born in the 40s. So mm-hmm. I knew they weren't going to therapy. And then on top of the way we were raised in church, they definitely weren't. Mental health was not a thing. Right. So I would just go to therapy and then, you know, that evening or the next day, you know, just kind of like, oh, guess what we talked about in my therapy session and just kind of share with them. And I remember the first time it clicked with my mom. Um, I told her about transgenerational trauma mm-hmm. and where transgenerational trauma is trauma that is just passed down to generation to generation to generation. And my therapist explained that once that trauma gets to the fourth generation, it's like it blows up. Mm-hmm. Um, because by the fourth generation, whoever's in that generation, it's like they have a breakdown because it's like they're carrying this trauma and they're so far removed, they don't know where it came from. So they just kind of explode. And I had to realize it was like my great grandmother, my grandmother, my mother, and me. And I'm just like, wow, this is why I'm having this whole blow up, blaming all of y'all for this. Um, but as I explained that to my mom, she was like, oh, wow. Well, that's why grandma did this. Yeah. Why your mother, you know, this is why my mother did this. And this is why her mother. And it was just like, oh, she wasn't telling me her business. Because I think that was one thing parents of my generation, they don't like to tell their mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was making connections. And one thing I learned, and this is why it's important for you to know your family history, is everything is connected. And so the big connection for me was, hey, I'm a history teacher. And I looked at when I taught the Great Depression, this light bulb came on because one of the issues I had with therapy, as far as with my family, my mom, the women were kind of stoic, mm-hmm. you know, they weren't nurturing, you know, they, they were good providers, but there wasn't this, you know, I'm not going to hug you and hold you and tell you it's going to be okay or console you when you cry. And the more sessions I went to, I realized I needed that. Yes. Yes. And we were talking about on the sexuality tip, just me growing up as a black boy in America, I needed that so many times. Yeah. And so um, that anger I had toward my mom, once I became aware, once she made that connection, I realized my mom couldn't give what she never got. Yep. And realizing, okay, mom was born in the 40s. You know, grandma was born in the early 20s. Grandma lived through the Great Depression. And it was like, oh, here comes my teacher hat. What happened during the Great Depression? Everybody and their mama struggled. Mm -hmm. And so basic needs were the priority. So when I realized that my grandmother was was a child going through the great depression my great-grandmother was a mother an adult going through the great depression and so 
knowing that history of America mm-hmm. and how it trickled down to my family was like, well, great grandma was trying to just get food on the table. Right. You have food, you have clothes, you have a house. I love you, you know? Yeah. That's love. And so understanding that was my great grandmother and then my grandmother was raised by someone like that. That's where we get this whole, don't waste anything. Don't throw that away. Say, eat all the food on your plate because they know what it's like. But because of the Great Depression and being Black in America during segregation and Jim Crow, especially my mom was born in the South, mm-hmm. Arkansas. So it was like that nurturing thing took a whole backseat. It's like, are you alive and you got food? It's a win. Yeah. And so understanding that there was a, just deficits that was passed down. And so when we look at our family history, it's a part of who you are. Yeah, You cannot ignore that. Even if you're a parent, if you're estranged or anything like that, it's important to know that history because the stories have healing. Yep. And I mean, it's so, it takes where before when you started therapy, you're like, blame, 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 blame. And then it's like through learning this history, applying it through the lens of like your family history, through what was going on. It's mm-hmm. like that blame then can turn to empathy Yes. For these people, instead of it's like, oh, you did this to me. You didn't do this to me. You didn't nurture me in this way. You didn't do that. It's like, oh, now I get it. And I can like, look at you with empathy and then Mm -hmm. also like turn that empathy towards yourself too. My, um, my, 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 she'd be my first cousin. That's the weird thing being raised by older parents. Like because my parents had me later, I have first cousins who are like old enough to be my parents. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was having this conversation a couple of years ago with my cousin, my dad's oldest sister's oldest daughter. And that empathy part, because you, you start the blame and she said, you have to realize, you have to see the humanity in everybody mm-hmm. and realize, you know, whatever a person in your family in the past did the decisions they made, you have to understand they were doing the best thing that they felt they could do at that time. Yeah. And we have to remember that context that the average human does not make decisions thinking about, oh, how is this going to impact my grandchildren 40 years from now or even 20 years from now? You know, especially in Black person in America, we're trying to think about this year, you know, right. how can we mortgage how can I keep this job how can I keep this home and so decisions were made that was in the best interest of that time and so um when you see that humanity in everyone and realize you know what I probably done made some decisions that might have a ripple effect later on yeah. um but that's that's important to talk about them you know some some generations don't want to talk and we we come from so many, that culture of sweeping everything under the rug don't talk about it and it's like when you keep sweeping everything under the rug somebody going to trip over that rug sooner or later mm-hmm. and so um ha- having that meeting on the roads where it's like mom it's okay for me to see your humanity it's okay for you to share your regrets because the beautiful thing about knowing your family history as far as your identity yeah. is you're not here to judge people or make saints and sinners out of people in your family line. You're here to learn. So right. when you have someone that's quote unquote a villain 
in a sense, or actually, if you have someone that's a saint, you know, a hero in your family, well, as when as they're as they're your ancestor, it's your job to take that and carry that legacy on. Whatever they did, their life, what you learned from, you're to continue that. You are the most updated version of your ancestors. Mm-hmm. And so you are here to continue that story. Well, Paul, what if, you know, I have a family member that was did this or this and this that's not so good? Um, same thing. We're not here to judge them, but especially when it comes to transgenerational inherited trauma, mm-hmm. we are here to learn from what happened to them or what they went through. And in this life, we're supposed to fix it. So nobody else after me has to go through that again. Mm-hmm. You are literally improving your bloodline. Yeah, even at a, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's even at like a DNA level sometimes. Oh, no, 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 yeah. Like after so long, trauma gets in the genes. Yeah. And so that's why I tell people as a black person in America, you need therapy because you have inherited so many things that has been even, you know, there's a professor I know here in Philly. She does a, a workshop on how high blood pressure and diabetes is so strong in our black communities. And it, she yeah. ties it all the way back to the trauma from the middle passage being on the ship, salt retention, blood sugar levels, like all of that stuff. And that literally gets processed in the DNA. Once it yeah. hits the blood, it can go anywhere. And so, um, that's why we have to continuously do this unpacking and removing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even I tell people, you know, sometimes you got to be strategic on when you're going to decide to have children. Yeah. Like emotionally, when women carry a baby, like what you're dealing with is going to get in that baby, whether you mm-hmm. like it or not. So um, I'm very passionate about people finding their family history and their stories because it's healing. You know, so, my, my relationship got so much better with my mom. Like, I had a great relationship with my dad. And before he passed, just those four or five months of that whole, like, this healing, him seeing me and my mom go through this and then get, like, stronger. Like, it was comforting him to knowing that, like, hey, I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but I know things are better with my son and my wife. That's you know? awesome. Um, and it's even to this day now, I knew that my mom and I were going to get closer after my dad passed because me and my dad were just like this. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that as long as he was around, I was going to, there was always going to be like this closeness that my mom may not like have with me. But now it's like that freedom to, and it's kind of like because I showed her that empathy. She's even telling other family members, you know, we weren't raised like that. We weren't told I was love you. So we need to tell our grandkids that we love them. They need to hear that. I'm just like, is this the same woman? You know, oh, yay. To see that this black woman at 79 years old is still evolving. And it's like, if I never took that story, took our family history and not only shared it Mm-hmm. in myself but like mm-hmm. shared it with my family like y'all let's talk about this let's look at this so we can heal like that would have never happened for my dad or my mom or myself yeah and so like that that alone is another level of therapy that my therapist could have never done mm-hmm. um like this is the point I don't go to my therapist as much because it's just like oh okay let's talk about this oh let's process this yeah oh, okay what this is now we know how to fix it and now it's like oh wow this is great and so that is empowering for any human being, regardless of like your race or ethnicity or how you identify. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
knowing your history, you know, yes, yes. Like, that physical, everything is connected, physical and spiritual, emotional, all of that. So knowing where you come from, okay, well, I'm, I do a DNA test. These people are from here. Okay, well, what was going on at that time? What has this country faced? Well, how are the people, how did the events of this country inform the people and their values and families, like all of that? Um, it's important to know that um, because that's how we're going to heal as people, as a society, you know, all the things that are going on right now with our identities and uh, people identifying how they are and existing and abortion and LGBT and recognizing trans people as people and all of the above, like, yeah, it goes back to um, there's this journey of self that sometimes we as individuals avoid mm-hmm. because Hurt people, hurt people. Traumatized people, traumatized people. Yeah. Um, and healed people, heal people. Mm-hmm. Amen, Paul. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, I mean, like, even to just get started as like a first step, I don't know like what you would recommend, but I mean, even in just like knowing family history, like you said, like the DNA test is one, like figure out like where, your family's mm-hmm. from, what was going on. I also, what I've done with a lot of my family members is uh, StoryCorps. Like I've used the format of StoryCorps, which is like, you can go on, there's an app. You can like choose yep. questions. You can choose questions and then interview and record your family members um, asking different questions. Mm-hmm. Just if you don't, if you don't have any clue where to start and what questions to ask, you can do that and like record it on your phone or on your computer and just have that. And that's also something then that can be passed down, you know, to family members. And, um, do you have any other really good suggestions for people to just like start to explore this? Um, before StoryCorps, uh, I tell people your phone, you have a voice note recorder. Um, I would, my dad and my mom, like when they, I would ask them something, or we would just talk. I'm like, hey, I'm about to record. And they would just talk and talk. And I learned, especially from the generation, don't interrupt them, ask one question and just let them talk, you mm-hmm. know, uh, because we don't realize when we do that, that's their therapy. Um, mm-hmm. Let them unpack and whatever comes to the surface is what's supposed to come. Um, so start with the voice notes. Um, Another interesting way that many people don't really consider um, reading obituaries. I Mm. learned a lot. My mom has saved so many obituaries over the years. And when you think about it, an obituary is essentially a story about somebody's life. And there were people I was reading obituaries and things I never knew about them. Mm-hmm. that made like a like brought some insight to me in understanding who they were um I'm trying to think what else talk to your elders that's the first line of defense I yeah. always say that talk to someone who was here before you um there's an African proverb that says when an elder dies we lose a library mm-hmm. and I can speak to that firsthand. I thought my, my, over the years, my dad told me so much. 
And I mean, I have hours of footage of him just talking to me about any and everything. And there was still stuff that he just hadn't tapped into mm-hmm. that, you know, to tell me. And so I would say the very first thing, I don't care, you don't have an app, call an elder in your family. And with this pandemic, you should be doing that anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, call an elder in your family and just talk to them because it's meaningful for them, first of all, for them to see that um, they need to be reminded that they still matter. Mm-hmm. Um, our society is struggling with a whole lot because we we have forsaken the children in a lot of ways, but in a lot of more ways, we've forsaken our elders and we don't understand those are the foundation. Our children and our elders are the foundation of us. Yeah. Um, it's somewhere where we've been and it's somewhere we're trying to go. And so um, get on the phone, call an elder, an older relative, check on them, see how they're doing, write them a letter, you know, and I've been more intentional about that. And it's made a huge impact. I've learned more stuff about my family members just by talking to them. And it's, it's encouraging, um, especially as they get, if they're older, you know, if they pass away, you have a stronger sense of connection because of these steps you've made and just realizing they have information that no one else in your family will ever have. And it's important to record that. So what, what if, I mean, because there have been people in my family where I'll go with a curious open mind and kind of like you mentioned, like they just come from a generation of like secrecy, their own trauma, you know, where it's like, Oh, I'm ashamed of this or that. And Mm-hmm. you know, or, oh, I'm carrying this on and I'm, yeah, like I'm ashamed of it. And it's like, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to open up about it. And, and that's something I think I've struggled with, with too, is just like, how do you then kind of, you know, I'm, I'm working on showing, like, like you said, like, it's okay to like be vulnerable with me. Um, mm-hmm. But sometimes it's just like, yeah, they're just like, nope, tight lips. I'm not, I'm not opening up. Well, I learned also, um, you can't make anyone heal. Yeah. And you can get more flies with honey than with vinegar. And so for anyone that has that issue, and that's a prevalent issue with the boomers, Mm -hmm. um, it's not blaming them. It's just, we understand. I always tell my family members now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were raised by people who were raised by parents who survived the Great Depression. It's just like this jingle I say all the time. And so boomers were raised by those type of people. And there were a lot of things in society that was like faux pas, even mm-hmm. though it was going on. I was just talking about it. Oh, know? yeah. Um, I would say, number one, you can't make anyone heal. So... It's not your responsibility as much as you've been healed and you want your parents or your older generations to heal. You can't make them. And so if if they're kind of digging their heels in, um, don't penalize them for that. Um, talk to them about good things. Ask them to talk about what's your proudest moment. Um, one of the things I yeah. talk about with elders all the time, tell me about your career. You know, like how was your job? A lot of times, with people's jobs, we don't realize that they were like a whole nother person and not in a bad way. Like 
I didn't realize how much my dad contributed to the post office as a black man working there 40 plus years until after he died. And I kept getting calls every day from people like your dad did this. And I would, I would have left the post office if it wasn't for him. And, you know, like all of that, and it was just like, my dad was old school home work, separate things, but he did a whole lot. And so um, talk to the elders or your relatives about things that they feel good about that, you know, they feel good about. And, um, like what I do, sometimes my mom may be like, okay, enough of that. You know, don't want to talk about that. And I'll mm-hmm. just bring up a good memory. You know, like, mom, remember that time you took us to Indiana Beach? Mm-hmm. And then she would just go in like, yeah, we were saving the coupons in the newspaper and, you know, and they're talking and talking. And so it it may not have exposed trauma, yeah, but beautiful thing about storytelling when you tell a story or even when you hear a story um your adrenaline is going to track track it's going to activate your adrenaline um your cortisol and your uh got the other one but your endorphins Mm -hmm, so like mm -hmm. a good storyteller can play with your emotions it's like the mind's a story for the story, your brain is like a playground. A story gets into your brain, it can go all over the place and have all types of fun and wreak all kinds of havoc at the same time. Yeah. And so when you do that with an elder or someone, when you tell them, bring up a memory and get them to talking about it, they'll feel better. You'll see a smile. They'll remember that memory. Nostalgia plays a huge role. So if you have an elder that don't want to talk about that, mm-hmm. find things they want to talk about, a hobby, um, old you know these old boomers love talking about their war stories they was in the military mm-hmm. you know find out what they want to talk about because you'll be surprised it'll build that relationship yeah and when you least expect it they'll drop that trauma bond that trauma bomb on you like you know i did this or this happened to me and i don't want this to happen to you all you know yeah yeah and even if they never tell you um, cause sometimes that'll happen. At least you will have those moments that you created memories, telling good stories, you know? Yeah. Um, cause that's healing. So even though you may not address the trauma, you're still giving some type of healing to the situation. For sure. I love it. That's a really, really good idea. Great way to start is just building that foundational relationship and then mm-hmm. boom, they'll open up more and more. Yep. I love it. Know? With Starfish, it was the same way. Mentor, my kid's not talking. My kid's been in the phone the whole time with the restaurant. Well, take your time. They did just meet you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And build. And then next thing you know, um, there's this girl I like. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. then the thing will happen. And so, you know, that's with anybody. You have to build a relationship to get those type of things. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Um. Well, thanks for sharing that. I, I totally 100% agree, which is why I like that specific topic I wanted to cover on the show because it is so freeing. And then you can take all that work on yourself, pass it on to future generations and feel like so liberated from it all, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate you. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, Paul and I decided to break this up into two pieces. So we are going to stop the conversation here 
And next week we will continue with Paul sharing more of his own story and how he is now living more authentically and in his own life. And so that conversation is equally as good as this one. So I hope that you'll continue and tune in next week, but I have shared all of Paul's information and links to his profile so that you can get connected to him and learn more about his storytelling. And I hope that you'll do that because he's a great person. And then we will continue next week with his story. So definitely tune back in and I'll see you then. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. And if you personally are feeling like you want to feel more free in your life, you want to live more authentically, there are so many thoughts and emotions that come up that can prevent us from taking the steps that we want to take to build the life we want. So if that sounds like something that is holding you back, definitely reach out to me. We can have a free call to see if coaching might be a good fit for you. I would love to discuss that and be a part of your journey. So reach out anytime for a free consultation. I will have the link in the show notes and I will see you next week for the continuation of this week's conversation.